of all the radio stations in the world. We're one of them. We are controlling transmission. WLTK DB. Let's talk. Alternative Talk Radio. WLTKDB.com. Well, they sing the seek answers to the questions that have crossed all of our minds. What happens to us when we die? Is there an afterlife? I'm a regular guy who discovered the gift of psychic mediumship in my 30s. My passion for history and the unknown have put me right here, right now. My mantra for anything paranormal is, we don't know much and anything is possible. Join me as we find our way through the stories, evidence, and experiences of the paranormal and beyond in search of answers, even if that leads to more questions. Are you with me? Hey, welcome to the Paranormal Pete Show. It's your host, Peter Orbea. It's episode 9 of the Paranormal Pete Show, and tonight I'm joined by special guest, Mr. Michael White, a good friend of mine, colleague. Uh, I've learned a lot from him over the years uh, in paranormal investigation and critical thinking and a variety of topics, and so it's my pleasure to bring him in with us tonight. Uh, Michael, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. The honor's mine. Um, known Michael for a good number of years and met him at the Port Gamble Ghost Conference years ago. Seems like a really long time ago, but in the, I guess probably about eight, nine years ago. Yeah, nine <laughs> Somewhere years. Somewhere around there. Nine years. Um, yeah. And, you know, been able to work with you on various things over the years and, um, investigate with you and it's just been a lot of fun and glad you can come on tonight and we'll talk some shop <laughs> good. good um first i'll get some shameless self-promotion done um <laughs> but uh if you like the intro music that uh, everybody listening out there we're on uh well we're on let's talk radio wltkdb.com and you can find us streaming live at uh the facebook page for let's talk radio so type in Let's Talk Radio, go there, give the page a like, and you can see the video stream. Or if you're listening to us over the air, it's WLTKDB.com. There's a chat function on there. Join the station chat if you want to ask Michael a question or if you want to ask me a question, we'll do our best to answer. But there is a chat function where you can get right to us. And also on Facebook, if you comment on there, uh, we'll try and address your questions. So... Um, yeah, so if you like that intro music, it's a song called Magic, and it is uh, my band, Steady Rock Cosmonaut, so check it out, steadyrockcosmonaut.com, where you can find us on Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, all the music players and streaming services, so anyways, just got to give the band a plug, so Steady Rock Cosmonaut, check it out. <laughs> so, uh, now, Michael, how long... Have you been involved with, um, re- let's just say, research in general? Not necessarily paranormal, but have you always been kind of a, the mind of, of researching and questioning things? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
one of the very first books that I ever picked up and read through seriously, I think I was third grade and it was all about the Loch Ness monster. Um, Nice. (laughs) You know, so then I started, you know, geeking out big time about, you know, Nessie and then it went into the Bermuda triangle. Then I started reading about ghosts and ghost activity. I was just a weird little kid, man. So, um, (laughs) You know, and then my life kind of took a a different route in Mm -hmm. going into the Navy and doing a lot of surveillance stuff on submarines and then, you know, uh, on other units. And uh, yeah, I kind of like took those passions that I had with as a kid and then took what I learned about surveillance and yes, painting intel and kind of merging it all together. Yeah, I was going to say the the background in surveillance has got, I mean, that just had to just drill into your head, you know, the parameters you need to think about and controls of a right. of a location and how to actually surveil something. Because, I mean, wouldn't you say really what we're doing with paranormal investigation is we're surveilling a location? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and even with how you set everything up, well, I think we'll get into that in a little bit, uh, a little bit more with that. But what's, uh, I mean, did you have any experiences as a kid, you know, with, yeah, the par- I did. with what I, you think is paranormal? <laughs> that, that's a hard question for me to answer only because um, I like to look at a lot of variables, paranormal being one of the possibilities. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I had the first one uh, when I was seven and I don't like to talk about it too much because I look like a victim and I really don't like playing that role. Sure. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that, that really kind of sparked my interest. And then, you know, um, I actually, as a kid saw a UFO and I was really um, fascinated by the whole UFO activity and phenomena Really? Yeah. And uh, Michael, I'm going to stop you there because me, I think you have latent psychic abilities because that was going to be one of my sneaky questions to you tonight was what you thought really? about UFOs. <laughs> wow. Well, I never saw Bigfoot because that's usually where somebody jumps in and say, I saw Bigfoot once, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. Um, but no, does, you want me to tell the story about the UFO? It's not. Yeah, please do. It's uh, so I would think that I was about nine years old and we lived in uh, at that time we lived in Burbank, California and right across okay. the street um, was Glendale. And now Burbank, California is a really nice area uh, except where I lived. <laughs> it was a little kind of South of the tracks kind of, kind of a situation going on, but we were sitting on the porch because it was very warm. Okay. Um, the San Fernando Valley is known for very hot summers. Right. And it was dark and we were seeing flashes. We were in a, a triplex and we were in the middle unit. We were seeing flashes of light looking like it was coming from across the street and maybe up a little bit, you know, we couldn't see it directly. Okay. And uh, it was, happening so often that it didn't really seem like a flashbulb and flashbulbs, you know, the little cube that you used to snap on the top of a camera. This, this okay. Way, 
way back, you know. Just, We're not dating. Yeah, you're not dating after, yourself, but yeah. yeah. Just after <laughs> the dinosaurs died. Just after. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, we knew that the flashes, the cube couldn't change that quickly. Okay. So my father and I and one of my brothers, and i sorry, I don't remember which one of them. I'm the oldest. Uh, went out to the the street to see if we could find out where it was coming from. And it was actually coming from across the street. And what it was, was this little about golf ball size blue ball that was just kind of floating. And then it would flash and then it would just keep going. And then it would flash again. It just kept moving until it got to the center of the street. And then it shot straight up. Wow. And that was, that was it. And it just, it was gone. It it was just gone gone history so don't think it was ball lightning because i've seen ball lightning and it doesn't behave that way but uh as far as what it is i don't know but it was bizarre it was bizarre well, and really you know sparked my interest yeah i mean it's definitely you can classify it as an unidentified flying object that's absolutely right yeah i mean how did you? How could you tell that it was like a golf ball size? Did you? I mean, I, was, I'm just I'm just estimating, you know, how big it was because it was it wasn't large. It was really small, and it was floating between uh, two apartments that were across the street. So it couldn't have been large. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, because I was going to ask what your thoughts were uh, uh, about UFO phenomenon. And, I mean, if you had seen any evidence that really kind of pointed you in the direction um, of alien life forms. But there you Uh, get you answered. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily think that all UFOs are of alien origin either. You know, just could be a phenomenon that we're not familiar with. Exactly. And you can translate right over to research of ghosts and spirits. Absolutely. Sure. Not all phenomenon is a ghost, but maybe it is some sort of phenomenon that we just don't know about or have no clue about. So, and I really like the term unexplained phenomena. Um, Yes. I think it describes a lot of what we do and anytime what we adhere a label to it's because of our belief systems, not necessarily yeah. the empirical data that we're gaining from it. Right. Now, I remember another story you've told uh, of a possible paranormal experience. Uh, it was when you were, was you, you were overseas? Yeah, actually. So I, I think you're thinking of... Uh, I can't remember the place you said it was for some reason. I think it's St. Catherine's Fort in Bermuda. Yes, I think that's yeah. the one, yeah. Yeah, so I'm in the middle of nowhere, and it is pitch black. <laughs> and I'm only killing time because I was waiting for the Bacardi Rum Factory to open up so I could go take a tour, and I knew that they were going to give me samples, right? <laughs> so so um, I'm down there, it's dark, and I can't really see anything, and I hear right in my ear my name. I mean, clear as day, and I'm alone. There is nobody there. It's just Michael. And so I stopped and I was like, what? And <laughs> there was nothing after that. So that was it. Yeah, that was, that was, yeah, that was a real highlight right there. It was like, 
I'm going to remember this, but it isn't going to change my life. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing is that, you know, I know that I'm down in the dark. I know that I've got a pretty good imagination. Right. Um, You know, I have tinnitus and I know my own name. So, I mean, if it would have given me some amplification, you know, some amplifying data, I might have made more of it. But, yeah, I... I, yeah. I <laughs> well, I mean, at that time, I mean, was anything paranormal research on your radar at that time? No. I mean, not, not yes and no. I mean, um, all right. When I was a kid, I'd go into places that I probably shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> cause I think, I think the technical term for it is trespassing, but, uh, <laughs> when I was in the Navy and I would go to certain places, I would kind of like hunt out a, a, a location that looked kind of spooky or something just to kind of hang out in it and see if there was anything going on. Sure. I, wasn't really, I wasn't really ghost hunting. I think I, I've called myself before a paranormal thrill seeker. Um, okay. Cause yeah. that's kind of what I was doing. I just wanted, I wanted some kind of experience or something um, because it really fascinates me. Um, I've refined that considerably since those years, but, uh, but yeah. And so, you know, when somebody says, Hey, you go, go to the fort and by the way, it might be haunted. He was like, yeah. All right. Okay. I'll go see for myself. (laughs) That's right. There you have it. But, uh, things, things changed quite a bit once I retired from the Navy in uh, 2000 2002. Wow. I've almost mm-hmm. as long as I was in. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh my well, God. Thanks for your service all those years. Uh, I didn't have anything better going on. So I, I honestly never <laughs> know what to reply to that. Because, I, and it, it was not college was not uh, in the cards for me. Uh, my family just, you know, they didn't really have a clue yeah. about that. And um, yeah, I think I lasted a week at, uh, Los Angeles Valley College, and at that time, it was like, <laughs> I just looked around at all the clicks, and it was like, oh, my God, this is like high school. I hated high school. What am I doing? So I went down to join the Air Force, and that guy wasn't there that day, so I joined the Navy instead. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so you may have gone to the Air Force. Well, imagine the uh, possible UFOs you could have seen there. <laughs> um, actually, I saw enough in the Navy. So Interesting. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and probably you don't have to say uh, underwater unidentified objects. I can't think of what they're called, but um, UFOs, but under the, under the sea, <laughs> anomalies. you don't have to say anomalies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that and let people think about it. Um, <laughs> not, well, anybody, not many, yeah. Not, not many though. Um, I think okay. the times that I've, uh, saw unexplained things while I was active duty. It was either on uh, surface units or um, in in uh, land based areas. Okay, yeah. that's never know. But you know, it seems like you're in the right place at the right time sometimes. So sometimes that's, that's better than most. <laughs> well, and one advantage that I had um, as far as determining whether or not they were unidentified is that w- we knew what was in the area. So um, if something popped up that wasn't uh, 
wasn't known. Bingo, it's unidentified. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, nice. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to bring up tonight, and it's, it's a point that I, I think it's always good to talk about. And so I, I put myself in the believer spectrum of unexplained phenomena, but more specifically paranormal ghost phenomena. And, you know, I started as an open skeptic and quickly became a believer um, because of the house here in the background, um, the Walker Ames house in Port Gamble. And I often, I often bring you up as, as an example of, you've got to have people around you. If you're going to be investigating, if you're going to be, you know, researching the paranormal, you've got to have people with varying beliefs or take on takes on what you're investigating. And so I will often bring you up as a skeptic and, you know, that it's important to have skeptics right alongside you if you're a believer. And, you know, I've heard you joke that you'd say, you know, so you've said, I don't think ghosts are real before <laughs> just <in laughs> joking, but, but that's great to have that. Can you, you know, we're going to uh, be taking a station break here soon, but can you talk about the importance of skepticism on a team, like in a team environment for investigating? Uh, you want me to talk about that before or after the break right now? <laughs> and, then we'll, right and then we'll then we'll take a break and then we'll come back to it. Well, I mean, if you don't have somebody who is actually questioning uh, the environment that you're in, then basically all you're going it's like people who go to church and bring somebody who's unfamiliar with the practice or a non-believer. All right. Okay. Um. If that person, the non-believer or person who was just open-minded, wanted to just check it out, wasn't there, then everybody is singing off one sheet of music and um, basically establishing a, a mindset for the entire team that is not going to be objective. So objectivity is what the, the skeptic brings. Um, I like, But sadly, the word skeptic has become kind of negative. It, taken negatively um yeah. and it isn't it isn't it, and, and that's one of the reasons why i recently found the term pragmatist um so much better because a, a pragmatic person is not thinking theoretically okay he's not really looking at belief structures or anything it's just taking the data as it comes yes so that's that's where i've kind of relabeled myself but in that having a pragmatist in a group, they are going to be able to objectively evaluate the data that is, is pouring in and um, basically questioning the perception of all of the team members, including themselves. Right. Do you find, um, you know, I like the pragmatic definition too, that kind of narrows it a little bit. And I was going to say, you know, I thought of a paranormal joke when you said skeptic is kind of negative. It's, it's septic, you know, in a sense. <laughs> but, right. right. But I think you're exactly, you're exactly right. You got to have somebody who's going to just look at the data itself because it's, it's almost like a, 
I hate to use the term, it's a, it's like a virus when you're going off one person's experience and then it kind of jumps from person to person and you have a bias on a location and for an entire investigation throughout the whole team. And that's when things really get interesting and all sorts of activity seems to happen, you know, when right. that when when that takes place. And I kind of think of that, you know, it's almost like manifesting. Um, but hey, we're uh, we're going to take a quick station break here and pay the bills. It's uh, 19 after the hour. We're with a special guest, Michael White, on the Paranormal Peach Show on Let's Talk Radio, WLTKDB.com. WLTK DB Let's Talk. Ever wanted to host your own radio show? If your answer is yes, then the time to act is now. WLTK DB Let's Talk is now accepting new programming more affordable than ever. You create the show idea and we'll take care of the rest. Not only do we create your program intro and provide broadcast training, but also syndicate you to popular outlets like Apple and Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. You get all of this starting at 100 bucks per month. Three packages to choose from and built to make your wallet happy. Contact us at WLTKDB.com with your show idea and let's bring your dream to life. All topics accepted and you have full rights to your program. Contact us today and reserve your spot on WLTKDB Let's Talk. What are you waiting for? Let's do this. Well, they say Back to the Paranormal Pete Show, episode nine, with Michael White. <laughs> As he materializes into the screen here, welcome back, Michael. Thank you. Um, so, you know, we were talking before the break about, you know, you have you the label of of skeptic, or I like how the pragmatic works better, and how that fits in on a team. And so, when you let me ask you this. When you're doing an investigation with um, people you're really familiar with, people or maybe whatever, it's just an investigation. Sure. And do you kind of find yourself observing the investigators more than the investigation? Absolutely. And why, why do you tend to want to focus on the investigators as well? Because it, here's one thing that I've, I've noticed whenever you have what is uh, purported to be paranormal activity, mm-hmm. there's always one common denominator. There are people involved. Right. So by actually watching the investigators and seeing what they're coming up with, um, I'm able to kind of bounce that against what I'm seeing in the environment and seeing if I can establish kind of a norm. Um, now, it's kind of nice is that, you know, my investigations now are all with uh, people I know really well. And mm-hmm. none of them um, have such solid belief structures that it's going to interfere with their perceptions. I mean, if somebody is something strong enough, they will basically tune out 
anything that will conflict with that belief. Um, you know, it's just part of cognitive bias. Right. So, you know, when I'm, you know, out there with, you know, Casey Goodwin or Ben Robison or, you know, Jay Verberg or Neil McNeil, um, you know, I trust all those guys. And I know that those guys are even questioning their own perceptions. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it makes it a lot easier. But if I'm with unfamiliar people, man, that's, I'm spending more time actually observing the, um, the team than uh, really anything else. Yeah, it, it, exactly. I, I think it's interesting, and, and I myself, <laughs> you know, when things are allowed and, you know, uh, safe and everything, um, you know, I'm, I kind of want to take that approach a little bit more myself in, in trying to observe investigators along with everything else, because I think I, like most people, tend to be focused on the location or trying to make contact, you know, or get, you know, audio evidence. Um, do you have, I mean, do you have any advice that you could give people out there uh, listening who are on a team, maybe they're new to a team, you know, a team or, or getting into it. What are some, you know, what's some good advice? What, what are some things you do that kind of help you prepare when going into an investigation with people, you know, with people you don't, whatever, but what's some of the things you do when you like initially get to a location? Um, well, one of the things I like to do is not know anything about the place. Um, I don't want to know. I don't want to know the history. Number one, history bores me to death, but uh, <laughs> and it's not always accurate. So you know, sure. Uh, but I don't want to know the location. I don't want to know the stories, other than where it might assist me in focusing my attention. Um, okay. Since if something is always occurring in this one corner, obviously I should know about that. You know. Right. Uh, but uh, I want to take in the, the whole picture. Um, I'm fairly observant of my surroundings. I have very good situational awareness. So if I walk into a place, I want to assess it myself. And I, I think that everybody should, should kind of do that. Just walk into a space, and, you know, just look around, um, examine yeah. it as much as you can. Uh, be familiar with the, the sights, the sounds, the the corners, the dangers, the, the <laughs> safe spaces, um, the temperature, the smells. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, I mean, I like the going in blind, you know, in a sense um, of a location. Do you now there are some locations you just can't get around, you know, <laughs> you know about it, you know, is it more than just, you know, being in the present in that time, observing what's happening in that time, not thinking about you're not drawing on all the stories of there's a girl over here. Right. Right. You know, you kind of filter some of that out. If it's a well-known location, because sometimes you go somewhere and it's like, there's no getting around it. Sure. You know about it or famous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Neil and I were talking that uh, probably my tours are creating bias uh, on investigation. When you know, when people come back to visit, they remember the stories I've shared and experiences, and 
And uh, so I kind of felt bad, but then he says, well, no, you got to have a good ghost story on a ghost tour. And I said, well, good point. <laughs> true, true. Well, you know, and the thing is, is that those stories are what motivate a lot of people to want to investigate, you know? I mean, yeah. even if, even if it is the, the paranormal thrill-seeking type of thing, they want something yeah. to, you know, happen to them. They want a personal connection with yeah. something. Um, you know, that's understandable and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that because I mean, let's face it. Uh, I don't care what equipment you have, um, camera, special super whammerdyne cameras and digital <laughs> audio recorders and this and that. There is nothing more profound than the personal experience. Exactly. So, so if that's what they're you know looking for, then, you know, so be it. Yeah. But it has to be. It has to be uh, legitimate. I mean, it can't be invented. It can't be. Uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, invented covers a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think credible, I think credible is, is a good term to shoot a good goal to be as an investigator or a researcher in a field like this is, is to be credible. And I think you can achieve that by, you know, being critical and absolutely and, and being skeptic, you know, cause it's anybody can go out and say they got an EVP or, you know, an orb. Don't laugh. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. If you want to make Michael laugh, say the word orb. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> you know, I, it, it seems like most everybody does this because they want confirmation of their own belief, as you were kind of touching on before, of an experience that they had. And they're, they're looking for that confirmation of, I'm not crazy, that was real, sure. you know, what I experienced. Mm-hmm. At least I think a lot of people are, are that way because, you know, shoot, I think we all ask that question, what happens to us? And we all have some sort of experience, whether we recognize it or not. If you're someone who's recognized experiences, personal experiences that you had that were profound, you know, why not go look for more to validate that, to validate to yourself that it was a real, you know, a real experience. Sure. Or or you just like the endorphin rush that you've got when when you're doing that. I mean, really, you've eaten a really good chocolate cake before, right? Yeah. Have you eaten it more than once? Um, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. See, the whole reason why you came back to it is because you really enjoyed it. So, you know, I I think a lot of, uh, those feelings with regard to the paranormal, it's the same way. Yeah. You you may have walked away with a great ghost story, but you want more. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And this uh, place here, it's, it's funny. You're one of the closer, uh, in geographic location to Port Gamble than most everybody then well than everybody I've I've talked to on the show so far. Wow. As a special guest. So we're actually pretty close geographically up here uh in the northwest and uh that's if you're watching the video of the Walk Graham's house behind me, that's um one of those places where it's just been sheer number of personal experiences that I've had there that's you know it's it makes it hard to deny over time <laughs> yeah yeah you know? and it's such a it's such a beautiful um building 
I mean, the architecture is is great. Um, yeah. You know, it's certainly some of it's dated for, you know, its time period, but. Uh, I, at least, yeah. Yeah, um, no. Is there anything that's um, that comes to mind, a really like unexplained experience that you had in the Walker Ames house? Well, comes to mind. I've, I've received some unusual uh, EVPs and um, that were dire- directly related to what was going on at the at the time of the investigation. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's been a lot of unexplained stuff. <laughs> and I ran an experiment there, and I think there was a guy named uh, Pete Orbea <laughs> who was uh, involved with this experiment where I was using the my most hated piece of equipment, the SB7. Ghost yeah. box. <laughs> yeah. And uh, sure enough, if it didn't, it certainly sounded like between those blasts, the radio stations, you heard something like, Hey Pete, you know, if you remember that. Yes. <laughs> um, and that really bothered me. I was, I was kind of hoping that it was going to fail. <laughs> you'd, you'd be able to figure, figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But you know, at the same time, whenever you're using that, uh, if you're not filming all the radio stations that it's coming in, you know, you're getting those broadcasts on as well as recording all the, the radio stations that are broadcasting at that time. To see if the, somebody said something. Yeah. Piece of yeah, it here, yeah. a piece of it there. And then when you put all those little snippets together, does it make what you thought you. I've got four recordings of, of someone in there saying, Hey Pete. So it wasn't just that one time, but I have multiple um, audio files of, you know, something saying, Hey Pete, right. Hey Pete. Um, w- most recent one was taken um, this last October. Um, and it's, a, it seems to be a female voice most of the time that says that, Hey Pete. Sure. So maybe, I don't know if I'm trying to be skeptical, I would, maybe it's the wind. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know? is it's coming in, it's coming in under these, uh, uh, on a radio frequency. Yeah. So I don't think it would be wind. Well, the other ones that I have, I'm talking, they are not oh. related to the ghost box. It's yeah, just okay. the, a voice that shows up and, and something that you can tell that I did not hear. Nobody heard it as it happened because nobody reacted to it. So, you know, an EVP. Right. Um, but yeah, multiple ones saying, hey, Pete when there's no ghost box going or anything. So sure. I wonder if you that... know, we hear, we hear those words and I'm, I'm glad that you said that, you know, it could have been the wind, etc. But whenever we speak, um, like I'm talking to you right now, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm exhaling air, it's going through constrictions of my diaphragm through the vocal cords and, you know, and coming right. in, in sounds that you recognize as language. Well, you know, those can be imitated through other means also, you know, the, the creak in a door or something like that, or mm-hmm. pressure in one room, 
pushing, uh, you know, air out into through some other kind of a constriction can sound like a, a voice or a sound. And if you're in a quote unquote haunted location, you know, and you hear a sound that might resemble a voice, it's suddenly a voice. Yeah. Yeah. And I will have to play those for you sometime. It's, it's okay. pretty, pretty compelling. Um, so we have uh, a question here through the chat uh, from Wendy and says, have either of us encountered the shadow person that June Nixon has seen there in the Walker Ames house? Have you ever experienced that? <clears throat> no, they might have been in the shadows. So I didn't see them. <laughs> I, well, I, I, I have not. I have not experienced that. Okay. Yeah, and I, I've seen short a short what I think is a short shadow uh, <laughs> numerous times. That's something that's that's moving through a room, and uh, light doesn't seem to go through it. Um. And one time I feel, and, and I can't say for sure, but I walked into a room and it appeared like a tall shadow was off to my right and ducked into another room. But it happened quickly. It was dark. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I did have one experience. I didn't see if, if this was a shadow person or, you know, a figure. But upstairs on the second floor in the Walker Ames house on the master in the master bedroom, what had happened is we had heard some footsteps uh, run across the length of the second floor. And me and some people were on the first floor, all of us, you know, accounted for. And we saw what we thought was a shadow on the staircase, uh, this main staircase. And now in this house, the main staircase is, it's very pretty, it's big, you know, it's all wood, beautifully done. And, we saw what we thought was a, a shadow kind of coming down the steps and I mentioned it and to vanish. And then something ran the whole length of the second floor up there, you know, and running fairly fast. And so I went immediately up after it and, you know, I kind of flew up the stairs and, you know, beelined there's a big, there's a long corridor and then you go into the master bedroom. And so I went right through that corridor into the master bedroom and got a, a few feet in. And I'm walking as fast as I can because I'm thinking I might see something based on what we just heard. And I wanted to try and see if I could see anything. So I'm walking really fast. And halfway into the master bedroom, I hit somebody. At least it felt like a person. It felt like, you know, an offensive lineman. <laughs> just big <laughs> and I bounced off of him or her. Um, I mean, it felt like a person and I just, it almost knocked the wind out of me. I did not see it, but it just, I mean, no, no pun intended, but it stopped me dead in my tracks, just boom. And almost knocked the wind out of me. And when I kind of, I bent over and kind of recovered a little bit, then there were these four loud, footsteps on the floor in front of me that went around into this closet and you know which closet I'm talking about on the second floor um, and it sounded like boots on a wooden floor like that kind of sound it was very sharp you know going around the corner so I don't I didn't see that person but it might have been something similar to what June saw so good question thanks for asking 
Um, uh, we have another question. Right on, guys. Thanks for uh, submitting questions. This is always fun. And real quick, I'll, I'll drop in a comment that so our good I don't, friend Casey, I didn't see. Our good friend uh, Casey Goodwin left. The Septic Skeptic. It sounds like a show about plumbers who investigate the paranormal. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Casey. Um, so we have a question from Missy Hart and she says, I'm late to the conversation, but I'm curious if you guys have noticed more paranormal types of experience this past year compared to other years, like has activity increased? Um, Michael, you want to take a crack at that one? Uh, I, I have not noticed anything. I mean, I, I get some crazy emails uh, to paranormal research and investigations. I, I don't I shouldn't say crazy emails, but they're pretty bizarre. And um, sure. I, I noticed that I've gotten a few really strange ones lately. And I don't know if it's just because people are more trapped in their house. Um, so their imaginations are going wild or yeah. – noticing things that they didn't notice before you know I, one or the other um yeah I, that's a great that's a great point yeah i mean i i can't say that um because i've been hunkered down myself um i can't say that more experiences or less seem to be happening um although from a psychic standpoint and feeling things this whole last year was intense you know i think anybody who's uh feels things um feels other people's emotions or feels you know sensitive to emf i think for some reason it seemed to be a lot stronger this last year and i always i'm a star wars nerd i always (laughs) liken it I've said it before on the show. I, I always liken it to Obi-Wan in A New Hope when Alderaan gets blown up and he's on the Millennium uh-huh. Falcon and he kind of falls over because he felt everyone's despair at once. And I've kind of felt some of that. So in that sense, maybe. But I think Michael's got a great point. Of people are cooped up at home. Um, maybe they're recognizing more of things that are not normal that happen in their home. Another thing too, to think of is if you're cooped up, um, you know, I, I know divorce rates went up last year, big time, you know, um, the quarantine and everything may have not gone so well for everybody. I'm wondering, I think a good question to ask, uh, to sort of answer you here, Missy is, is there been an increase in poltergeist activity? Mm. Um, you know, people have lost their jobs. They've lost their savings or they, you know, lost somebody to COVID, uh, whatever it might be, you're struggling, you know, there's a lot of really stressed, you know, stressed out people out there and stressful times. I'm wondering if there's maybe more of an increase in it's poltergeist activity not necessarily survival of the body, uh, you know, or spontaneous um, phenomena. So, I mean, what do you think, Michael? I don't know. Uh, honestly, I, I just don't know. Um, you know, when it comes to 
noticing things that are strange in, in your, in your house, your, your immediate surroundings. Um, it might not be strange. It might just be that now you have the opportunity to experience it. Um, because you're stuck, you know, for the most Yeah, it, it maybe stuff happens when you're working all day. Yeah, exactly. Now, maybe you're not at work all day and you're sitting at home reading a book and, it, and it's quiet. Well, uh, it, so many, you, know. you, you touched on so many factors that, you know, you're dealing with um, the, the emotional, the financial. Um, yeah. There's just so many, you know, the, the things that you can control, the things that you can't control. Um, and it just seems that these days there's more that you can't control than there are things that you can. Um, sure. So, you know, that's, that's gotta be frustrating and that how those frustrations manifest themselves um, will obviously vary from person to person. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. For somebody who, you know, has a strong feelings about the paranormal, it might, you know, be directed that way. Um, sure. It's, it's really, it's really, it's a tough time. Um, but personally, no, I have not noticed any significant change other than the emails that I've received were weirder than usual. Weirder than usual. <laughs> That's a great way to sum it up. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I just would be willing to bet it's, you know, most people are going to, they swallow down a lot of what they feel and the stress that they have. And so I'd be willing to bet that there's more what I would consider poltergeist activity um, with stressful times and stuff going on. But, you know, how do you, it's, I think it's hard to investigate that and in a sense, prove that claim, you know, in that somebody's having, but you know, and, and kind of touching on your point of the emails being weirder than normal. Um, well, I, I, I want to clarify one thing, though. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. I, I get a lot of emails. Um, some of them are, are very legitimate, and I, and I do offer them some suggestions. I don't, you know, honest, I don't go out and do a paranormal investigation by myself. Really, number one, because co- actually – doesn't really have anything to do with COVID. It's, it has to do with, um, you know how most teams always say they've got this little caveat, we're here to help you. We're ready, we're ready to believe you, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Good um, reference. <laughs> I'm, I've always been very straightforward with someone who contacts me who sounds legitimate. Um, and, I, and I tell them, you know, hey, uh, I'm not doing this to help you. I'm doing this because I'm interested in it. And <laughs> this is what I think I'm going to get out of it. And this is what, you know, and I want you to be involved so you can kind of get some, some clarity into the situation as well. So I'm, I'm very balanced, but there are sometimes those emails that you get that are just, wow. Okay. So, I mean, my degrees are sure. in psychology and sociology. So, I actually had to take some abnormal psychology as well. And just, I'm look at some of these emails and I'm picking out a lot of uh, descriptors of different yeah. disorders that might be involved. And of course I, I don't have my doctorate, so I can't give them a correct DSM four or DSM five. <laughs> sure. But uh, it's like, 
yeah, there's there's something else going on with this person. But those those emails are, are been more frequent. But on average, I get a lot of well based, well balanced um, emails. Yeah. I, I answer those legitimate ones as much as I can. If they still need help, I pass them on to other groups that I know would probably work well with them in their situation. Yeah, and and you've got you know a good network of people. Um, yes, you know that you can recommend as well. Um, well, I, you touched on a great point there. I want to expand on it a little bit. The uh, and and there's nothing wrong with being honest with what you're doing with paranormal research, right. and I think it's it's great that you can approach somebody who has come to you for for help, and it's something that you're going to take and see that you're telling them, "Hey, I'm I'm doing this because I'm interested, and I want to collect the data." Um, I think there's, that's a, it's great to be honest like that with your intentions um, because it's going to alleviate any expectations that a client may have because of what they've seen on TV or, (laughs) you know what I mean? They'll have an expectation of, Oh, this guy's a paranormal investigator. Um, When he comes here, Oh, he's going to bring this and that and this and do it, you know? So you're alleviating a lot of those expectations right off the bat. And, you know, once you kind of let them know what you're doing, you move into like an interview process, right? I kind of want to touch on that. Well, if you're, if you're going to take, if, if if I'm going to take it on, yes, yes, yes. And I think, um, I think Casey Goodwin, when he was on your show, Mm -hmm. he discussed, uh, Oregon paranormal's interview process. Yes. Um, and filming it and everything. It's, it's actually quite genius. It was a lot better than what I had going on. Actually, <laughs> I mean, I would do the interviews and so forth, but um, mm-hmm. God, man, he, he has really stepped up the game. Um, with well, how, how, how important in your opinion is the interview process when someone's reached out to you and you're going to take a case and, 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 and investigate it or research it, you know, how important is that interview process? It's it's all important. You're going to learn more about not only what they're dealing with, but kind of getting some insight into how they are perceiving the situation. Um, I mean, it's easy to say that you're going out to research why a glass of water moved three feet. But when you talk to the person and they're telling you how they felt about it and what else was going on in their life and, and everything else, you're gaining so much more data um, that can actually help you discover causation, um, which is one of the big words that I'm always looking for. Uh, let's find let's find the cause of of the act supposed activity mm-hmm. um, if there is that. So. Yeah, that's about all I have to say about that. Okay. <laughs> well, I just gonna say that's one thing that I've I've learned from you and and some of the other guys. Um, and Michael's a part of a group called the Extra Century Gentlemen League of Extra Century Gentlemen, and he's briefly spoke of. And you know that's uh, something I've learned learned over the years. That you know the interview process is really a, cr- a crucial part of a paranormal case because that's where you can weed out 
someone who's, you know, if, if it's hoaxing or someone just, they just need someone to talk to, (laughs) you know, you can weed out a lot of that stuff. And, and uh, one thing that I I've actually used in the field and um, I'll just give you a a plug on one of your books. We're going to talk about them here in a little bit, but I wanted to talk about uh, chasing thin shadows, uh, which was your, your first book. Um, and in this book, you've, you've got, um, interview forms, investigation forms. I mean, it's a great resource. Um, and I've actually used some of that before (laughs) Oh, good. on on cases because just trying to get, you know, a sense of, like you said, it's the context that you're getting more data, the perception, uh, what these people are experiencing. Are they taking any medications um which is a tough thing to talk to somebody about that you don't know um you know it's a it's a tough thing to bring up but it's legit it's valid um you know because certain things cause hallucinations um you know if someone tells you they're taking lsd chances (laughs) are they're probably going to be having weird visuals happening sure right so long as it's prescription lsd yeah yes yes (laughs) but you know you'll find out oh yeah oh they're taking that okay um and you take that into consideration but um so you know what kind of like with that book chasing thin shadows um it's it's a i mean it's like step by step how you can handle a case uh of paranormal uh, Absolutely. you know, activity and it's, it's just laid out. Well, what drove you to do that? I mean, was it just from your own experiences? Did you take everything that you put into the book from your own experiences? Uh, I, I took it from so many locations. I mean, asking other teams what they were doing and, you know, trying to find the, the best of all worlds. I mean, there are a lot of, there are, <laughs> We're lucky here in the Pacific Northwest where there are a lot of paranormal teams and we do talk and we share information and we're not as guarded as they are in other locations. Um, so the information is there. Um, I just kind of, I, I used to write tech manuals. So, you know, I kind of understand how to put something logically together yeah. and more so than speaking. So, um, I just kind of used all the information that I had available and, and put it together. Um, it was, it was kind of a big deal because, you know, I was part of a team, you know, another team back then. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was kind of being driven by an event that that team was um, starting. And then it's, it's been rewritten once. Um, I'm going to eventually rewrite it again because I've learned so much more in the 10 yeah. years since I've been doing that. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's mostly what I've learned was from talking to other investigators and uh, talking to, to other teams. And um, there is no one right way of doing anything. Right. Yeah. yeah but you're just presenting a direct way. Of yeah, exactly. Doing, doing things in, in a more credible manner, it, it, more of, a, you know, professionally surveilling a location. Absolutely. You know, and how to set uh, that up. I think, I think the goal for me had always been 
with that particular book, if, if a homeowner was having some kind of a weird occurrence in their house and they wanted to investigate it without following the psychodrama that you find on all of those knucklehead television shows, it would, it would lay out, hey, this is how you do it. And that homeowner wouldn't have to call a team. They could do it themselves if, if they have the ability to do it objectively. That's yeah. the hard part. Um, but, you know, anybody who's interested in joining a team, you know, it kind of gives them, gives them a clue. And then, then they can go ahead and research the, the, the big dogs, you know, William Roll and, um, you know, even my personal idol, idol uh, Harry Price, you know, and, uh, you know, all of these other things. And, and pick up Lloyd Arbach's book, you know, ESP Hauntings, ESP Poltergeist and Hauntings. And I think I've got that switched around, but that's okay. So, I mean, you know, get, my book would kind of give them an, an overall idea, a flavor of it, and then they can go ahead and do the hard research into um, – Yeah. They can start running with the big dogs at that point. Yeah, and it's, so it's called Chasing Thin Shadows, Guide to Paranormal Investigation, and you can find it on Amazon. Um, so go go check that out. It's it's really it's just a neat field guide, and it's not like a big giant novel. No. <laughs> you no, can put it you can put it in your pack of gear and take it with you. <laughs> and I and I try not to use big words because, quite honestly, I'm not that smart. So um, I, I make everything easy, so it's you know it can just be done. You know, so just get her done. And yeah, the book's all about. Well, and I found it the same way because, you know, I always consider myself a rookie in, in this field and I probably will, you know, always kind of think of it that way. But it, it made, you know, I read it years ago and I've read it again a couple of years ago. Wow. Um, Did you but, find any mistakes? Let me know because, you know. Yeah, I'll shoot you over any typos I find. <laughs> But it was like it was so it was really easy to understand, and <clears throat> I think most teams, you know, most people, you know, you see, I see on social media, you know, hey, we're gonna, I'm gonna put a team together, I'm gonna go do this, or I'm gonna, you know, go here and investigate, and they, you know, they're going in just totally unarmed, um, you know, with with critical thinking and how to log your data that you you collect and everything right so you know it's just something simple that you can go out there and, and be armed with information um well all of those all of those forms that were in that book also were and i do say were available on pri uh dot com, but that website is now done it is it is gone the way of the dodo, because quite honestly, I can't afford to keep running that thing. Yeah, so I've got I've got those forms available. So if anybody contacts me on the paranormal research and investigations uh, website on Facebook, I can uh, messenger them. Yep, and they're all in Word docs. <clears throat> that way, they can tailor them to their own. Uh, yeah, templates. yeah, and that's that's what's you know I've I had gotten some forms from the from the website before as well, and it just makes it super easy. Yeah. You know, it just lays it all out, and it's you know, you just boom, boom, boom. You can just go down your list of what you need to do. <clears throat> um, we're gonna be taking a break here in just a minute, but I think, um, you know, when we come back from the break, uh, 
let's dive a little bit more into critical thinking, pragmatic thinking. And I just wanted to ask you about some experiences or examples of something being thought to be one thing, but then you, you, you know, I don't want to use the word debunked and you can explain that. Um, But when we come back, let's talk about that a little bit. And we're going to take this, pay the station bills, take a top of the hour break. And we'll see you guys on the paranormal Pete show with special guest, Michael white, W L T K D B.com. We'll see you on the flip side. WLTK DB Let's Talk Alternative Talk Radio WLTKDB.com Boosting the vaccine rollout. I'm Lisa Lacerra, Fox News. President Biden says he's stepped up his plan to get Americans vaccinated against COVID-19. President Biden explained how he plans to back up big talk about getting 300 million Americans vaccinated, in part with these 200 million new doses of vaccine the U.S. government just bought. That's 100 million more doses of Pfizer and 100 million more doses of Moderna. 200 million more doses than the federal government had previously secured. Not in hand yet, but ordered. We expect these additional 200 million doses to be delivered this summer. President Biden also says that for the next several months, masks and not vaccines are the best defense against COVID and that things are going to get worse before they get better. Fox's Peter Ducey. The White House says President Biden and Russian leader Vladimir Putin have had their first phone call and it says the president raised concerns about the arrest of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Russia suspected involvement in a cyber spying ring and Russia's suspected involvement in that campaign and reports of bounties on American troops in Afghanistan. Members of the Senate have been sworn in as jurors in the impeachment trial of former President Trump, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. The theory that the Senate can try former officials would amount to a constitutional get-out-of-jail-free card. Kentucky Senator Rand Paul had argued that trying Donald Trump in the Senate is unconstitutional because he's no longer in the White House. Forty-five Republican senators say that the whole the whole charade is unconstitutional. So what does that mean? It means that impeachment, the trial, is dead on arrival. Senator Paul on Fox News primetime. The trial is set to begin in two weeks. The man who was to preside over that trial, Vermont Senator Patrick Leahy, is home after being taken to the hospital this evening after he wasn't feeling well while in his Capitol office. Leahy is 80 years old. He's been in the Senate since 1975. America is listening to Fox News. Even in the new year, it's hard to start a new routine. But if you're one of the 34% of Americans who made a resolution to be less stressed, Headspace is here to help. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research and can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Go to headspace.com slash fox for a free one-month trial. This is the best deal offered right now. Headspace.com slash fox. Fewer passengers didn't mean a lesser rate of guns seized at airport checkpoints last year. The TSA says they found about 10 guns for every million travelers that came to checkpoints in 2020, a record pace and double the rate of 2019. The agency says they seized 3,527 firearms last year. Even though the percentage was higher, the total number of firearms was about 1,000 fewer than 2019. The top three airports with the most guns seized, Atlanta, 
Dallas-Fort Worth, and Houston. Federal law prohibits passengers other than certain law enforcement officers from bringing guns or ammunition into the cabin, but does allow passengers to put guns in checked bags if they're unloaded and in a locked case. Rob Dawson, Fox News. One of the biggest employers in the country is hiring. Amazon is hiring 3,000 corporate employees in the Boston area. The company's hiring staff and technology and software development for its Alexa smart speaker system, robotics, web services, and new Amazon pharmacy business. Amazon is considered the second largest private employer in the U.S. after Walmart. It has also been expanding in other cities and now has more than 800,000 employees. Amazon leased a building in Boston's seaport development as it expanded and says it's not receiving any financial incentives from the government. Ginny Kosola, Fox News. Fashion designer and husband of actress Laurie Lachlan, Massimo Giannulli's request to serve the remaining three months of his prison term for his involvement in the college admissions cheating scandal at home has been denied by a federal judge. Giannulli had argued that he should be released to home confinement for the rest of his five-month sentence because he spent eight weeks under what he called extreme conditions in solitary confinement due to the pandemic. Lachlan was released last month after spending two months in federal prison. The couple pled guilty and made a paying a half million dollars to get their two daughters into USC. I'm Lisa Lacera. This is Fox News. Well, they Paranormal Pete Show. I'm your host, Peter Orbea. Mom with special guest, Mr. Michael White. And we're on Let's Talk Radio, WLTKDB.com. And hey, we've started live streaming each of the shows on the Let's Talk Radio Facebook page. So, uh, and then it goes to the host page as well. But make a trip on over to Let's Talk Radio Facebook page and give it a like and so you can get notified when uh, we go live. There's a lot of great shows on the station. And uh, so, you know, definitely don't want to miss any of those. They, they are archived on major podcast streaming services as well as the station. Um, they're all archived right there and you can check them out. Um, so be sure to check out all the shows on there. Next week, um, I have Nicole Strickland, the host of the Afterlife Chronicles, coming on, and it's Groundhog's Day. So I got the luck of the drawing there. So I think uh, we'll have some fun um, talking about some Groundhog's Day stuff. And then I've got uh, investigator Linda Myers coming on um, next month as well. Yeah. And she's on Olympic Peninsula Paranormal Society, which is a team I used to be a part of and very glad to have been a part of that team and learn from, from those uh, investigators and people. Um, and then also have Mary Bethune coming on in February as well. And Mary is somebody I've investigated with a lot. Um, so I'm sure we're going to be swapping stories and experiences and, Hey, remember this, remember that, but we got a lot of fun shows coming up. Um, uh, this next month. So keep an eye out for that. And of course you can always find my page on Facebook, uh, paranormal Pete show, just type in that and you'll find it there wherever you're coming from. I hope you'll, you'll check it out and be sure to go. Like I said, um, go to let's talk radio's Facebook page and give it a like. So, uh, you know, when all the shows are live. So Michael, before the break, Before the break, you know, I wanted—I mentioned, you want to talk about some of the, you know, some critical thinking and some things people, you know, or things that you've employed 
on investigations, um, you know, and, and put out there, um, you know, and some like common misnomers. And I think the, I think where we have to start with that, you know, or, or common misconceptions of, of activity is what I mean to say. Um, but I think, I think you have to start with, and you, you briefly touched on it before of intention, and I think that's where any paranormal investigator has to start, right? You know, your sure. your intention. Talk a little bit about what you consider as intention and, and the importance of it when you're, no matter what field of research you're, you're getting into. Well, I mean, it, it all boils down to, if you want to be honest with yourself, you have to know your own limitations. But for you to go out and do anything, you need to know what, is your motivation for doing it in the first place. And um, I, I think, I think that's where a lot of people fall down. Um, there's a lot of people who go into this particular field being motivated by proving life after death, as opposed mm-hmm. to um, just examining the phenomenon. Because when you, are already approaching it from that one perspective, you're already biased, thinking that the activity is from a deceased person. And that, you know, boils down to one of the things that you have difficulty with, with, uh, with, with, um, (laughs) examining paranormal phenomenon is that it's, I shouldn't say paranormal, but unexplained phenomenon Mm -hmm. is, all of us are walking into it with a set of rules that are used with normal everyday activity. Um, And when something is unexplained, you have to kind of think differently. I mean, most of us don't even understand the sets of rules that we have ingrained into our minds when we go out and do anything. Um, Okay. Do you think it's that's like your 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 subconscious? You know, it's just is that what you're meaning? Like it's ingrained into you, or is it more of like um, nature versus nurture, where it's your environment that you grew up in ingrains things into you? What do you think? This uncomfortable silence right here <laughs> is a good example. See. Here, here's a rule that you have, and you've <clears throat> it perfectly. Thank you very much, Pete. You're welcome. You asked a question, and you expected, and you expected an answer directly relating to that question, right? You you didn't think about that, but that is a rule that's already set in in your mind, you know. Um, and where does that start? You know, it starts from when you're a kid. You know, you're asked a question, you give an answer. Um, all of these things, uh, we look at the world as, um, you know, this thing happens, then this thing happens. Uh, and when it comes to unexplained phenomena, when we're approaching it with all of these rules that are for normal phenomena, um, so we can understand the world, it doesn't always quite work. So we have to kind of shift gears a little bit and have number one, have less expectations. <laughs> Certainly don't have expectations for results. And as a matter of fact, if you go out on an investigation and you return from that investigation, you have more questions 
than you started with, then you did your job, you know? Exactly. So I love that. <laughs> the people, the people who go out and just, you know, spout off all these answers. Uh, man, I, I shake my head every time, you know, I hear that because they've basically changed the environment into their own perception of the environment as opposed to what is actually there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the reasons why I, I, I hate the ghost shows that, that are on television. Sure. I, hate them. I, I actually hate them. I mean, they're going out they're they're changing the environment that they're supposed to study. Um, you're bringing in all this equipment and so forth. And then they're making conclusions based on the changed environment. It doesn't even make sense. Um, I guess the best example would be um, they're outside studying ants under a magnifying glass and then coming up with the conclusion that ants spontaneously combust. (laughs) Okay, sure. So, you know, you have to kind of go into these investigations with, with a different mindset. Um, And that mindset might be that, uh, even if the answer is right in front of us, we might not be able to see it. Exactly. Yeah. And I always go back to, we don't know much. <laughs> Anything <sighs> could be possible, which is where having an open mind, yep. you know, is, is always good. You know, I, I feel like you can be a skeptical or let's say pragmatic person, but be open to possibility. Absolutely. Because especially in this field, I mean, there's there's no meter that's been designed to detect a ghost. We don't even really know for sure what a ghost is. No, but or, somebody's going to sell it. one. I, exactly. <laughs> there's lots of them out there, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. You can you can get them online. Um, you know, <laughs> but it's like you know we we don't even really know what it is that we're trying to research or, you know, capture data. So I think there's a, there's a, and this goes back to setting your intentions and and knowing your own limitations. And, and you got to like, this crosses over into um, psychic work too. I feel like, because, you know, from, from my perspective, if I'm, you know, doing a reading or if it's, you know, a look, location read somewhere you know i gotta know my limitations going into it but i have to i have to have i feel you know the right intention for the circumstance am i trying to just see what's what's there am i trying to help a specific person is there a problem but you know from from my perspective you know i have to go in with you know i don't know quote unquote the right intention Um, you know, but just that goes with anything. So just, you know, with investigation, you got to kind of recognize your ego one, Sure. you know, how much of it is involving your ego with, with your intention and, you know, what are you trying to do? And I think if you can be honest with yourself, what your intention is, then you can kind of move on to, you know, going out there and performing investigations and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, right. You got to have the set your intentions and, and you mentioned expectations too. That's something I've heard you speak on, sure. on before too, is, is 
you know, expectations. If I'm going to the Walker Ames house, you know, I'm going to expect, I'm going to hear this. I'm going to see that. And chances are, I probably will. <laughs> well, I absolutely. will have that experience. <laughs> and, you know, even if, even if the environment or something in the environment isn't causing it, you might be causing it, you know, which is one of the reasons why I was doing all of those experiments um, with what, what living are contributing to uh, the investigative process um, and the environment. Um, right. So, uh, and, and that's just another one of the possibilities. Now, of course, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a psychic medium. So, um, and I haven't really uh, worked on any of those gifts, even if everybody has some degree of psychic ability. Sure. I, I'm perfectly happy being psychically deaf. Yeah, right, and that's that's your choice. <laughs> that's absolutely right. That's your uh, because I don't want to be I don't want to be bothered. I got enough of my own problems. Don't start telling me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I got more than my share share problem. But um, yeah, and so you you mentioned intention, but um, as one of the elements to uh, pragmatism and critical thinking on investigations, but. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoy when it comes to critical thinking on investigations is breaking everything down to its smallest component. Um, st- starting with um, even, even the initial report that you get uh, of paranormal, uh, of paranormal activity. Okay. Which is biased in itself by calling it paranormal. You know? um, sure. <laughs> So if you don't mind, I have a, I actually wrote up something um, kind of adapted from one of my lectures and it basically a, a story and then a uh, paranormal related story. And then okay. how a critically thinking person would kind of break it down. Okay. Yeah. Go for it. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank- it's awesome. Thank you. Cause I, I feel like I, I did my homework for this. So. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. (laughs) Ready for the puppet show. Here we go. So uh, Thomas has worked at the Coffee Express shop, coffee shop for six years. Five years ago, a little girl was struck by a car just outside the shop in the parking lot. Notice it's always a little girl. Anyway. Yes. (laughs) um, Thomas was the person who called 911 and was the first person to get to her. Ever since that tragically fatal accident, usually around sunset, customers and employees can hear the little girl tapping on the front window begging for help. This occurs almost every day. Wow. So <laughs> an investigator who, you know, would, would get this. Mm-hmm. I mean, some teams right away would be jumping into Ecto-1 and, you know, <laughs> it's all their gear. But... Just hearing that story, you have enough of the who, what, where, and when to kind of investigate. Number one, did that event really occur? Um, okay. Which would be the very first thing anybody would do. That was a strange sound. Anyway, um, if, if it did occur, then you'd want to know, well, what time a day did it occur? Is there a correlation between you know, the tapping on the window. Um, at sunset. At sunset. So 
in the story was almost every day. So what was different about the other days that it didn't occur? Um, Because already when I would see a a report like this, um, I'm thinking, okay, which way does that window face? If it's a westward facing window, then I would expect some changes in thermal expansion. Is the window just a glass window with a metal frame because both of those two objects are going to dissipate heat differently and then there's going to be popping and so forth, which can sound like tapping. Right. So there's a a lot of these types of things that when you look at a report, initial report of paranormal activity, you want to kind of break it down into its most, the smallest components and look at those components individually, because, you know, then you can determine whether or not you're going to use all of your time for an investigation. Because an investigation, there's a lot to that, you know? Um, Yeah. I, I think, I think the television shows really, you know, Packing it all into an hour really does everyone a disservice who's interested in pursuing yeah. activity. Or, or if it's a half-hour show, it's really about 20 minutes of footage with commercial breaks. Right. You know, so it's even exactly. less. Even less. No, and I like, I like um, your example there because that's you know, often what you hear from people when yeah. they're talking about a personal experience. Oh, it happens every day. You right. Know, yeah. You know, there there's always a little bit of, you know, human embellishment uh when anybody tells a story. And I think that's just that's one of those that's things that's ingrained in us, most of well, us. Well, absolutely. And I think it has everything to do with the fact that when you tell a story, you are not remembering it from when it occurred or when you were told that story. You were remembering it from the last time that you said that story. So there's going to be those little tiny changes. It's a giant telephone game even being played in your own head. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it all changes. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've noticed that. You know, I kind of have to check myself um, doing tours. I've been doing tours, the same tour for 10 years. Oh, you know, wow. Some people might think I'm crazy, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I have been, and I, and I have to, um, you know, a lot of them are, are typed out you know, and, but there's a lot more that still needs to be, um, typed out. And so sometimes I have to even check myself, like, wait a minute, am I remembering that correctly? Right. You know, I'll do, I'll choose a different story that I remember clearly, (laughs) you know? So I, 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 I even deal with that, that too. Um, and so a curious, what are some common, things that are perceived to be paranormal activity on an investigation, but most of the, you know, most of the time they are not. What are some things that are most common? Yeah. I can't tell you what is most common. I can only tell you what I've, I've personally run into. Yeah, sure. On two occasions, they were the similar, similar reports of activity. Okay. Both of them. (laughs) Both of them had the same cause. And just to one of them was whispering in the kitchen. The occupants would hear at night okay. um, that there was whispering back and forth, like two different voices in the kitchen. And then, okay. so I used my most, my favoritist, my favoritist, <laughs> most <laughs> favorite, um, 
piece of paranormal uh, equipment. Okay. It's called a stethoscope. And found where the whispering was coming from. It was a faulty compressor in the refrigerator that was making oh, wow. sounds. They didn't hear it during the daytime because during the daytime, the TV was on, the dogs were barking, the kids were playing. Life. Yeah. Yeah. And, but at night when it's really quiet, there's no traffic outside and so forth. And that's when the whispering would start in the kitchen. So. Um, Interesting. Oh, that's, I'm wondering how many people out there listening tonight uh, have a stethoscope in your kit of paranormal tool or, you know, equipment your tools. How many people have a stethoscope out there? If you got one, go ahead and comment, jump on the station chat at WLTKDB.com. Let me get that out. Um, Or, um, and jump on the station chat there. And I would have never thought to have a stethoscope um, as a, as a part of my kit. And I feel like my kit's pretty, pretty basic. I like to try and stay simple. Um, but uh, that's interesting. So did you just basically, you know, check out the, put the stethoscope on the fridge and then you, whoop, that's, does this sound like the sound? I mean, how did you approach that? I did everywhere in the kitchen. I mean, everywhere in the kitchen. And that's where I ended up. Really? Yeah. And- yeah. And I've noticed too, um, you know, I've lived in, in Port Gamble for quite some time. And so I almost forget what it's like living in a modern house. <laughs> I was lived <laughs> right. in these houses that are a hundred and, you know, 20, 130 years old. Uh, so things are, you know, a little different, but man, the, the water pipes in these houses make some strange vocal sounding noises where, <laughs> it just sounds like somebody's talking in another room or multiple well, and, people. And that's, that's exactly it, Pete. And thank you very much. And just like I said before, you know, you're talking about a tef, uh, pressure differential going through a pipe, you know, which is what your, your throat and your vocal cords are. And it's just controlled. So exactly. Yeah. And you know, it, the house uh, I'm in now, I've, I, when we first moved in, I had, you know, was like, always like, wait, what was that? You know, did I just hear something? And then I figured out, oh, when the dishwasher's running, there can be some pretty vocalized sounds that I'm hearing. Um, and, and once I figured that out, I was like, anytime I heard that from then on, I was easily able to identify that's, I know exactly what that is. You know, that's nothing, but you know, it's, it's, I like the stethoscope thing. That's pretty cool. I'm going to have to look into adding that to my, to my things. Cause shoot, you might, you know, if it's an apartment or something, you might be able to hear what's going on next door. And sure. <laughs> with a stethoscope, you can be like, well, it's not voices in your apartment. It's voices next door, you know, That's sorry, right. you know, we got to figure that out. Um, what are some other, what are some other things? I mean, um, you know, orbs is probably the most common one that, that I get. I know I love to make you crack up. That's why I bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> and I've learned over the years to just, you know, you just got to let people down, you know, just, and just, it's hard. It's how can you, yeah. at least from what I tell I've you seen, what Pete, I, 
I, I never let them, I never let them down um, unless they ask me a direct question. If they ask me a direct question about them, I, you know, I'll tell them, no, that's dust. It's moisture. It's this, it's that yeah. uh, digital processing error, et cetera. Yeah. But there are some people who have beliefs because of personal tragedies in their life who associate um, dust and other things in the pareidolia that they see, you know, in those dust particles in their yeah. um, less than accurate cameras take. Yeah. And I, I don't, at that point, I just, I don't say anything, you know, yeah. because, um, to them, it's, it's giving them comfort to, sure. to see a face of a loved one or something in that line. Um, so I've just learned to shut up when I, when I should, um, because, you know, yeah. I, I don't see any reason to, to make somebody feel bad. Um, yeah. I do that. I do that enough unintentionally. I don't want to do it purposefully. Sure. No, like I said, I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy in the world either. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of times where I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right about something and then I'll find out, Oh, I was mistaken. Never wrong. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to clarify when I say let people down, I, I do it as diplomatically as, as possible. And my approach is usually, there's so many things that this could be. It's hard to say that it is something yeah. that's paranormal. There's so many other things. Is there a, is there a, a secondary piece of video that was shot at the same time from a different angle that still shows that? That might be interesting, you know, because there is, I, you know, I'm not going to say there's no such thing as orbs that are, whatever paranormal energy or whatever, but I just think it's, it's a hard thing to as an investigator to hold up and say, this is evidence of the paranormal. Sure. Well, I'm always interested when I hear somebody saying that they see a small bit of light moving, that's giving off its own light. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't hear that as much as you see a low resolution photograph of dust i mean right that's usually that's usually the evidence that they're presenting to you not not that we were able to see it with our own eyes because when you're able to see it with your own eyes that's something different that is something different because your eye is not the same as a camera lens that's <laughs> <So>. absolutely right <laughs> well i and wonder it, so oh go ahead go ahead no i, I was just going to say good cameras you don't have the orb phenomenon as much Sure. Um, and I did remember hearing somebody speaking about orbs and recommending a cheaper camera because it captures more orbs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, so are you familiar? Um, I'm just going with the flow here. Okay. Are you, you know, you're talking about seeing faces in points of light, you know, in a photograph. Are you familiar with the skull experiments? The what? The skull experiments in England? No. So check it out. And for those out there who haven't heard about this or seen it, um, it's uh, it's called the skull experiment. 
and it's skullexperiment.com. This took place in the 1990s in England, and the Society for Psychical Research was involved um, in many of these these sessions. They had physical mediums, and they were in this this really old house and um, down in the basement, and they would do these you know, seances, these sitting readings, basically. And they had images of, you know, pyramids, St. John's Cathedral, random places showing up on their camera film. They were asking the spirits to take a photo. And there's also a a documentary film that was done on it. um, The after, I think it's called the afterlife. And Lloyd Arbach is actually in that. Um, you know, as a speaker in that documentary, but they started what's really interesting to me and what kind of puzzled the SPR, uh, which they attended many of these and brought it, they controlled everything. They put in all the controls where they were bringing packages of film in the box sealed, placing it in a locked box putting the locked box on the table in between everybody. And then after the session, they would take the locked box out of the location, remove the lock, remove the film and get it developed. And there would be all kinds of faces of different people, just the strangest things you can imagine on film. Um, And now that kind of photographic phenomena is, is that's interesting. That's, sure. that's crazy. But you know, in the, in the, that it stumped, you know, that it, the fact that it was stumping the SPR, I find interesting. Uh, well, that, that actually gives it legitimacy. Exactly. And, and I, I do remember hearing of this experiment. I just wasn't aware. Yeah, sure. It, it and it took place in the nineties. Um, and it's just such a neat thing. So everybody listen out there, if you haven't heard of it, it's S-C-O-L-E. So skullexperiment.com. Go check it out. I mean, they had they had on a piece of film, um, uh, it, was a, it was a device that Thomas Edison perfected. I don't think he invented it, but he invented it. Anyways, the schematic showed up on this film. And it had a signature at the end, and they think it is Thomas Edison's signature. And it showed up on this unsealed, unopened film. Wow. It's just, it's just strange. <laughs> but again, I just wonder how just many. Things... Go ahead. It, when you hear these things, especially well, especially when you see them in articles, um, when you hear these things, I'd like to know how many negative results there were, and. Cause you always hear about the positive, you know, the, oh, sure. you know, um, when I don't hear the opposite and yeah. it makes you scratch your head and go, mm, okay. But uh, yeah, that, that'd be interesting to know. And I, and I don't know the answer to that, you know, but I know that hundreds of sessions were done over almost 10 years, you know, period of 10 crazy. years. Yeah, it's really interesting, but you know, that's the kind of stuff. I mean, I'm really interested in that. And um but yeah, it it, it is tough with orbs because I, I think there is stuff that is unexplained that can show up on film, you know, and especially like say you have a the highest end camera and you're yeah. getting really strange light anomalies, then you know, sure, there's probably 
something more to look at there. But again, it goes back to, it leaves more questions than you went there with. So that right. begs, you know, that you want to look, look deeper into that. Um, and I, real quick, I'm going to, uh, we got about 25 minutes left. Time's flying. Um, you know, it being s- such a pragmatic thinker, you know, and just the way you approach things, what's your, because I've, I've worked with you on a, on a few different things and I've always appreciated your, your openness, um, to phenomena and, and possibilities. What's kind of your, I mean, do you prefer if you're working in a team setting? I mean, do you like to have a medium involved with the team? You know, what's kind of your take on investigating with, with a medium? You know, if the investigation calls for it, yeah, certainly. Um, just because I don't personally have those abilities or, or quite honestly want them, doesn't mean that I don't see the value, you know, of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another perspective. Um, yeah. And you want as many perspectives as you can because that's how you're going to actually – um, evaluate the situation. So if the situation is calling for something other than, you know, IR cameras and, you know, EMF meters and this and that, then yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to bring him in, but I'm glad that you asked that question because I have a question for, see, here we are. We're going to leave here and I'm going to be asking a question. Um <laughs> That's good. <laughs> for for the psychic mediums out there, and you know yourself as well. Sure. The uh, so we kind of associate a personality with a received with what mediums will say a received person or, or, or an entity that they're contacting. They're getting a personality type of thing from them. So. My question is, is is the personality associated with the quote-unquote spirit or soul, depending on, you know, where you are in in your religious background? Sure. Or as the person? And the reason I ask this question is because um, back in, I think it was 1848, a guy named Phineas Cage – are you familiar with this guy? Uh, a little bit. He was a foreman, a railroad worker. He was using some explosives, and using those explosives drove a yeah, that's right, steel rod straight, you know, through his cheek into his eye, and basically destroyed his left frontal lobes and poked out of his head. He was actually pulled his brain out of out of his head. Uh, miraculously, he survived this. Yeah. But his personality completely changed. He was a jerk after that, right? Yeah, he was He was very animalistically driven. We'll just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> sure. So the personality had more to do with the biology of his his brain. Not necessarily the soul or the exactly his spirit. So when Phineas passes on, okay, 
what is the spirit or soul or whatever it is that remains? Is it the altered biology Phineas Gage or the previous Phineas Gage? In other words, if the soul, spirit, whatever is inside a physical body. Okay. Is the personality associated with this soul or with the biological functions of the physical body that surrounds it? Sure. In other words, this outside person personality could be a horrible person. <laughs> when they pass on, they can be the sweetest, most wonderful thing. They might have been a horrible person because sure. of the biology and the environment they were in, you know, basically in order to survive, they had to be a horrible person. Right. I think that's a great question. And I think it's a complex question. It's a very, complex um, question. it's a very complex question, but I would to start with, uh, to address the biology part of it. I think we're dealt the cards you know, we, we play the hand we get with our physical bodies. I think there is some part of us, though, that is, I don't know if I want to say predetermined, but it's this is who you are sort of thing. And the biology can affect your spirit, your soul, whatever, however you want to label it, in in that biological setting, in that physical shell that it can affect it. But I think once that shell is gone, now here's where it gets a little tricky and, and no way for me to prove it. <laughs> okay. okay. I think it can. So let's say Phineas Cage, go back to that example. He, this is post accident and he has passed on. If he understands that he has passed on, if other people, other souls, spirit guides, however you want to think about it, are there when he passes as noted all the time with end-of-life experiences, they may be able to help him go to the quote-unquote light, which in my experience with readings and working with clients, once that happens, it's, I call it the soul's car wash all that stuff is washed off to you and you're back to your highest and best consciousness. Then you can still come back and you would come back as maybe your pre-accident demeanor and personality because you were able to, in a sense, wash that off. I think that's a super complex question. (laughs) Well, it won't won't necessarily, you know, it's more of a, I think it's more of a discussion point than it is really a question because, you know. um, Oh, sure. Sure. Now, now, you know, who knows really how that all works? I, right. I can't say I know. I won't say that I know how it all works. That's just not possible because I don't think we can even perceive what is bigger than us out there. Um, so, I mean, that's a, that's one that makes you leave with more questions, but I would say, I would say, well, I, I believe we take our personality with us. It's whether or not what happens after you pass on, 
do you go to the light or do you hang out? Because let's say Phineas Cage did not go to the quote-unquote light. I would be willing to bet his animalistic behaviors and personality would come through if it was going to come through on this plane. If he was able to be guided to go to the light, like he's aware that he died, he, you know, makes the choice to go and then comes back, he will, I think, be how he was pre-accident. But I really do think you take your personality with you or elements of it because in, when I've done readings for people, it comes through all the time. I can okay. tell kind of what person they are. Now, you asked me a question a number of years ago, and I, I'm serious. I still try and pay attention and and think about this. And I got to say, I'm kind of in the same spot I was last time we talked about it. But <laughs> years ago, and anybody listening out there, go ahead and comment if you what you think or if you've had thoughts about this before. But Michael had asked me, um, you know, as far as, as psychic work, am I receiving a message from an external source or am I, in a sense, reading the mind of a person, that I'm a client that I'm doing a reading for? Am I getting stuff from that person's thoughts? Because they're probably thinking about their loved ones and who they'd want to hear from. And, uh, and I often tell them to go ahead and do that because if it helps them relax, that's, you know, makes it a little easier to, you know, look out there. So his question was basically, am I reading the thoughts of the person or, you know, the feelings of the person I'm doing the reading for, or am I getting something from an external source? And Michael, I got to tell you, it's like, I'm not sure. I'm still not okay. sure. That's um, yeah, I, I'm just not sure because um, I can, someone can send me photos of their house and maybe they're having reported activity in a certain area of the house. They'll send me a photo of that room. And then I usually ask for a photo of the outside of the house. Now this is kind of tricky because I'm not actually there talking to anybody uh, you know, or face to face, or I'm not seeing the person. I'm just seeing a room and like, you know, the front of a house and, and I can pick stuff up or, you know, the things that have been validated, um, or they can be validated like names, um, scars on people that have passed on that are related to, you know, that are related to these people. So I'm not actually talking to anybody or looking at, you know, a video call or anything like that, but seem to be able to get some validated information. Now, if I'm going to look at this from a parapsychology or psychical research, well, those people, those people's house that they sent me the photos of, they've been living there. They've been have perceiving these experiences. Right. They've been talking about it, I'm sure, amongst themselves or to themselves. Well, plus that proximity energy. proximity doesn't necessarily enter into the equation either. Right. Looking at uh, psychic phenomena. So, so even in that sense, when I'm not even face-to-face or anything with anybody, am I picking up on what the living, you know, the quote-unquote living people in the space have put into that space? Or is it I'm being shown things from the other side? And it's just, for me, it might not be for other people. It's hard to tell. And I've, I just, 
I always go back to that question because, you know, it's just interesting to think about, you know, as a medium, am I, am I actually reading someone's thoughts or getting message from the other side? And it's, it's split. It's, I think it's maybe a little of both a combination because I know I do. This is personal experience again. (laughs) I feel you know, and, and see, or I hear the person's laugh and I can almost mimic it, you know, and it's some, you know, the clients, yes, that is so-and-so's laugh, or I can do a signature sometimes and it's how that person signed their name. How did I know that? Am I getting that from the client because they're, that's just in their memory of seeing how they sign their name but, you know, for, for those kinds of things, I think it's more of I'm getting the message from the other side. Either way, it works. It's pretty cool. I don't know how. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just always been an interesting question. And I, and I hope more people doing mediumship work and, and psychic work out there think about that. Because uh, it kind of, you know, it's interesting to think about, you know, at, at the very least. I mean, what do you think? I don't know. I really don't. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, uh, there, there are often times that I'm, I, I'm in awe of what uh, a psychic medium comes up with. Um, there are other times that I'm very skeptical. And that's, that comes from your, your, your love of Harry Price. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so long as I'm honest about it, it's all good. Yeah. Oh, of course. And, and I feel like you've always been super honest with me and it, and it's appreciated and there needs to be more of that in the paranormal field. But anyways, I just wanted to bring that up tonight because it's, um, you asked me this question probably like five years ago. Um, wow. And, you know, once I was kind of more at the beginning of, of this journey that I'm on and it's something that's always kind of stuck with me. And I plan on giving you updates as I find things or get well, good. Cause I forgot that I asked that question. <laughs> you know, I talk so much that sometimes I just tune myself out. So yeah, you do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're getting to, to about 10 minutes here. So I wanted to cover some things and, and get it out there to everybody okay. listening. W- some things you're involved with and, and things that you've got going on that are really interesting and really exciting. Um, number one, you, you've got three books out there. Do you, sure. do you have plans for more? Yes. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. I'm currently very slowly but I'm working with uh, Rebecca Goodwin as well as Nicole Robinson. Okay. On a paranormal cookbook. Yes. And I'm trying to get recipes from people who are on paranormal teams or they're paranormal enthusiasts or psychic mediums in the Pacific Northwest that want to contribute uh, to this cookbook. And they'll get, you know, their, they'll get their name and team or even their website um, printed on their, their recipe to go into this, I kind of want to make it a, a joint effort because I love to cook, but I don't love to cook so much to write my own cookbook, you know? Um, <laughs> sure. And I think that this is kind of a fun way since, you know, the paranormal community around here is very well knit um, together. Yeah. 
why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's it's seems to be more closely knit here in the Pacific Northwest? I I think it has everything to do with um, how the teams have kind of worked together so well with the conferences. I think the conferences have done a, a great service to all the community, all the teams around here by being able to bring everybody in and, and listen to people speak and, you know, make you scratch your head and go, wow, okay, they do it that way. I don't like that. I think we should do it this way. Or somebody will come up with a great idea and it's like, Oh my God, that's, that's brilliant. Let's, let's incorporate that. And I think that all of those groups talking to each other more so than having that territorialism uh, sure. that goes on elsewhere. Yeah. I, I, I think that, I don't know. I, I I don't know. People up here friendlier. I don't know. Do we have less problems? I don't know. <laughs> we all got problems. Yeah, no, I yeah. think, I think the conferences are, are, that's a great, a great thought. Um, and there's conferences all over the place. And, and I've harped on this before on my show and I probably will again, if you get a chance out, everyone out there listening, if there's a conference in your local area, um, you know, even if it's a virtual conference, we tried that this last year, go to it, support it, check it out. Because like Michael said, you can meet a lot of other teams and a lot of other people and hear other points of view, other ways of doing things. And so I think that's, that's a good answer as to why it may be a little more well knit. Um, And And we all like to eat. (laughs) I think the cookbook (laughs) idea is, is awesome. I can't wait for that to come out. That's, that's awesome. A really fun idea. Uh, yeah, I've got that, and I've also got a science fiction horror novel um, that I'm working on very, very, very slowly. Yeah, because I just picked up a few more hours in, in the paying job. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome! Um, well, well, that's uh, that's great. And when you get that, when you get the cookbook done and everything, people will be able to find that on Amazon. Oh yeah, you bet. Yeah. Sure. Oh, great. So Michael's other books is there's Wrath of Innocence, which is your that's your most recent one, isn't it? Um, yes. No, no, it is not the most recent, but it is <laughs> it is my first attempt at fiction. So yeah. Uh, so and that is a uh, supernatural thriller, and thank you, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I it, that story so much. Yeah, <laughs> so there's, there's so many books. I I'm I'm gonna just have to be like lock myself in a place for a couple months and just read and read and read. Uh, you've got your other one, the Pope's underpants and other shorts. <laughs> just, no, actually, okay, oh. Wrath of Innocence replaced the Pope's underpants and other shorts. Oh, okay? did it? It did. So oh, uh, changing it up on me. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry. That was my fault. I should have informed you on that. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, it was a great story. The book was not selling well. And I had to kind of reexamine the title. So the title was funny. Okay. That's a great uh, title. <laughs> but my mom didn't think it was funny. My mom is very Catholic. Okay. Okay. She told me that she thought that some people might think that it was sacrilegious. I said, I said, no, mom, you know, people see that it's just humor. It's not, well, maybe she had something going there. So I changed the title. Okay. 
And lo and behold, it started selling again. So, um, mama, mama knows, mama knows best. Yes, not always, <laughs> but yeah, she did that time. Um, mama knows best. Well, that's great. And then my most recent, uh, very short, very inexpensive book, uh, stepping forward, basically a common sense guide to fitness. Um, I haven't seen you put that. When did you put that out? I put that out uh, last year, and Casey right. Good was kind enough to help me design the cover for it. Great. It is, okay. it is basically the fitness plan that I used to lose some tonnage and get in better shape. I'm actually in better shape now than I was uh, maybe by my, tw- my 20s. Wow, when you were in the service. Yeah. So awesome. Well, uh, good for you, man. And so, yeah, I mean, I lost almost 60 pounds and, um, have kept it off for over a year now. So amazing. Uh, so you've got a fitness book out as well. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, that's crazy. Well, one of the, one last thing I want to touch on, cause we're getting low on time here. Um, I swear all my guests, I, I feel like we could always talk for like hours. Sure. <laughs> There's always so much more. Nobody wants to listen to it, but we could yeah, talk. For hours. We could, whether they want to or not. Dang it. Um, so Michael is, and I've had a, a number of guys from the league of extrasensory gentlemen on the show. There's one more I got to get. I got to hunt, hunt Jay down, get him on the show. But uh, Michael's a part of this group that's working on the permanence of paranormal case study documentary film. So if you're listening to the show, if you've followed my show, um, Neil McNeil, Casey Goodwin, Ben Robinson, and now Michael White are all part of this documentary. And there's also Jay Verberg, which I'll get him on the show at some point. Um, but you guys are working on this documentary film, and it's, an, it's a literal paranormal case study on the old Wheeler hotel in Wheeler, Oregon. So on the Oregon coast. Um, and, you know, I know filming got really just stalled with COVID little bits have been able to be done here and there. I think probably, I think Casey said a lot on the editing side, um, sure. sort of thing, but you know, where, where are you at with that? And, and, you know, give us, um, you know, what's your favorite part of making this film? Well, my favorite part of making the film is being with the guys, you know, um, uh, it's just super group of individuals um, with fantastic knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, ha- all of them coming with such uh, passion for what we do. Um, yeah. It's just so refreshing. I mean, you got, you got Neil McNeil of paranormal studies and, um, and if you get the opportunity, do watch his video, uh, especially if you're just getting into the field. Yes. What's the name of it? His uh, video. Dark again? and dark and stormy nights. Thank you. That's right. The guide to parapsychology. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and uh, Casey Goodwin and uh, Jay Verberg, both of Oregon Paranormal. Ben Robinson of ASAP, which I like to say the name of what ASAP really stands for, but I see it clearly in my head. But by the time it gets to my mouth, it's asymmetrical squirrels eating pizza. <laughs> Poor Ben. Uh, <laughs> the autonomous studies of the enigmatic and paranormal. But Thank I see you. Where, see? I, I see where you're going with that. So, so you really enjoy just the, what I, each I enjoy guy the, brings to it. 
you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all, I'm not going to say we're all like-minded. We do have our differences, but we respect each other's differences and we can work together really well. And I think all of us has a a different piece of the puzzle that we're bringing. It all fits um, very smoothly. So, yeah, I can't, I can't wait. So, I mean, this documentary is going to really showcase what an actual paranormal case study entails. Right. You know, one, you know, the length of the case study, everything that goes into, you know, gathering data and reviewing the data. I mean, that's got just mountains of data to go through. I applaud you guys for having the patience for that. Cause that's insane. Oh, that's the part I love. I know <laughs> that's your analytical mind, by the way, what's your favorite to review audio, video, photo, video, video. Okay. I'm a, I'm a visual learner. So uh, I pick up things through video a lot more so than audio. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, I can't, I can't wait, man. This, uh, this documentary has been a long time coming and, uh, you can look it up on YouTube, The Permanence, A Paranormal Case Study. You can go to thepermanencefilm.com, uh, which is the website for it. You can find it on Facebook as well. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, definitely go look it up and watch the trailers for it. Uh, I think it's going to be something that this field is really going to enjoy. And um, I hope it really pushes the field forward, which I know I've heard many of you guys working on the film say that you hope that it pushes the field forward in a positive way. And, uh, and with that, we're shoot, we're out of time. It's episode, Ooh. episode nine of the paranormal Pete show with special guest, Mr. Michael White. I thank you so much for joining me tonight. It's been a pleasure talking with you as it always is. So thank thanks you, for Pete. coming on and I'll leave the, leave everybody with this. Thanks to all the listeners out there. Thanks for the people who submitted questions. Really appreciate it. Be sure to visit WLTKDB.com for the show archive or find it on your favorite podcast streaming service, but uh, we'll be back next week with Nicole Strickland from the Afterlife Chronicles, and I'll leave everybody with this. The past is history, the future is a mystery, but today's a gift because it's the present. Don't forget to look at what's right in front of you. Hug those around you. Virtually hug everybody else for now, and I bid you adieu. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week.